Oh no, my center pitch fell out! <laughs> oh dear. Oh well. Boomers, welcome back to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your fortnightly guide to the sega sensational world of Sonic and Sega and all that stuff, what used to go on in 1994. We are the humans who reckon we're in charge. I'm Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely. <laughs> we're here with issue number 31 of Sonic the Comic this week, mm. a cover dated August 5th, which means it came out on July 23rd, 1994. And Dave, mm. it's Mutant Monster Mayhem time. I can tell. I can tell just by looking at it. Mutant League new series. The sky's the limit for Coach Bricker and his Midway Monsters. And the illustration here is of a man in a suit who's kind of doing a pose with his arms and legs out and his head's exploding off. And his head is that of a, well, why am I 40,000 orc? <laughs> yep, he's very orcish. This is, this is as the, the tag tells us, but well, I'll read the tag, Mutant League new series begins this issue. Mm. The sky's the limit for Coach Bricker and his midway monsters. And this is Coach Bricker whose head in the game you see flies off his shoulders when you win or when he gets excited. Oh, that happens in the game? Yes. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Well, his head look here, it looks um not unslimerish. It's got the green pallor. It's got yeah. your purple eyes. It's got your big wide mouth with your half folded over tongue. Uh, very remin- reminiscent of the, the cover of a Ghostbusters sketchbook I had back in the day. And indeed, Sony Box. <laughs> Yeah, no, I could see it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's funny, it occurs to me, as I was reading the Mutant League strip later in the comic, that the idea that his head blows off his shoulders is just something you're sort of expected to know going in. Yeah, it's not entirely clear, is it? Uh, which, obviously, Dave, you didn't, because you didn't know it came from the games. But I know from when I was a kid that I already knew going into the comic that that, that was part of... Not that I'd never played the games, but yet I still knew that his head flew off his shoulders. Oh, that's interesting. How did you know that? Well, I, d- I mean, maybe it's the fact they set it up uh, on the cover. Maybe. But I don't think so. I feel like I did know. I mean, they did mention it in the news zone, so I think there might have been a screen capture that vaguely illustrated the idea there we go then yeah and uh, and there's a couple of spiked helmeted skeleton and orc american football player looking guys watching this happen and we're going to find out why that is as we go in yeah this cover is by uh, anthony williams who's the regular artist of the mutant league strip and the colors are by john burns who is not the regular colorist of the mutant oh. league strip charts news q zone reviews and more it says along the bottom oh God, well, let's have a look at that then. But just before we do, the back page is a full-page picture for a film I never saw but absolutely remember coming out called North, a new comedy from Rob Reiner, the director of When Harry Met Sally, it says here. And um, I remember standing in the uh, entrance to a cinema and seeing this poster up on the wall, so it must have been when I was off to see... What year is this? This is summer of 94, the Flintstones, probably. Yep. So what we're looking at is a picture of two people sitting on a globe and, uh, you know, the the Earth. One of them, dressed in a giant pink rabbit costume, um, I believe is your fella, Bruce Willis. And he's got his arm around little baby Elijah Wood. Neither at all recognisable <laughs> no, not. in this picture. I had to really peer at the pair of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but... <laughs> Elijah's dressed up all 90s looking. You know, he's got the old um, blue uh, jacket with the old grey arms that kids wore in those days. Bruce Willis, of course, in the uh, giant pink rabbit costume people used to wear in 1994. <laughs> 
I never saw this film. I think maybe it was on television when I was passing through a room once, <laughs> but, but I don't think I've ever seen it start to finish. This is just a famously bad film. Oh, is it? Oh, you know, no, yeah, yeah, this is a bad one. Oh. Uh, this is one that Roger Ebert gave like a famously terrible review to. Like he just said, I hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it. <laughs> hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. <laughs> what a cast on this film, though. Did you look at the yeah. cast down at the bottom? Elijah Wood, John Lovitz, Jason Alexander, Alan Arkin, Dan Aykroyd, Kathy Bates. I don't know who Faith Ford is. Graham Greene, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Reba McIntyre, John Ritter, Abe Vigoda, and Bruce Willis. Like, that's quite a list. That's a few of them, yeah. That would make you think that it would be a decent film, and it did make me think that looking at this poster while reading this for this, but apparently not. Not so as I understand, but I can't say anything more about it because nope. I've never seen it. Don't know the premise. Probably um, not going to watch it. The end. The, maybe that could be a live streaming event. Dave and Chris <laughs> watch North. <laughs> We finally watched North, something that our only interaction with is an advert on the back of a Sonic and me seeing it on the steps of a cinema once. I mean, I feel like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast can be framed in those terms. <laughs> <laughs> Much like my experiences with Bad Boys Inc., who feature in the Control Zone. Megatroid seems like he's confirming implicitly what we deduced last issue, because they always say, in association with electronic arts, to describe the Mutant League strip. So it really seems that mm. this must be the first thing they've done that wasn't Sega published. So they have yeah. to actually say, trademark electronic arts and mention it when they're talking about the strip. Exciting, STC's branching out. To fully enjoy the strip, Megatroid says, select sequential art mode from your options screen <laughs> and then play ball. <laughs> Oh, this is a Tony Takushi written welcome screen. <laughs> it was the first thing I thought. <laughs> he loves his option screens. I now I now I know exactly who to go to if I ever need to talk about option screens, ask about option screens. We've got the exact guy, a world expert. <laughs> also in this issue, Tails completes his rescue mission in the Nameless Zone, but despair not. <laughs> don't worry, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> they say he'll be back soon. I feel like it would be a while before he'd be back, though. Let's not forget the real star of STC, though, Sonic himself, because next issue sees the return of Sonic's world, in which we divulge further secrets of the planet Mobius, he says enticingly, making us think that it's going to be the thing we want. That is some of the most flagrant false advertising I think Sonic the comic has been <laughs> guilty of yet. It's, um, your reaction to the first series in STC's 25 to 27 was incredible, so prepare to be suitably impressed once more. Yeah, this did oh. not deliver what was promised. <laughs> no, or what they were excited about, apparently. We had a very narrow and specific understanding of what Sonic's world was and what we wanted from yes. it. And, well, next issue. <laughs> and then a little bit of tantalising talking of popular yeah. and strong characters. Who could forget Chuck D, head of TCAP attack fame? Well, the word is that Chuck wants back in STC. Can't say I blame him. Maybe I'll toss a coin. And if it's heads, he's in. Find out the result in STC 32 next issue. Really? No, really? he's saying we'll find out if it's coming back next issue. Oh, we'll find issue. out. Because okay. Pirate STC will be ending in a couple of issues. Uh, to be honest, whatever they said that, who could forget? Chuck, I actually went... <gasps> <laughs> I let a, a wee excited gasp whenever they announced he was going to be back because I just sort of forgotten that that it would be back as well. It's not been soon or anything. It's been 
gosh, it's been over 10, 15 issues since since Decapitag. But what uh, has it? Yeah. Oh my god. Started in issue ten, so went to issue fifteen. Wow. So it's been like yeah, it's been like fifteen issues. But um, yeah, I'm just really, really now really excited <laughs> for Decapitag to come back. <laughs> and then we got a bit down the middle in our uh, what would you call this the feature strip that we have every time the leftovers <laughs> Virtua Racing steals the show the merry month of May saw three Sega slash Capital Radio roadshows broadcast live from various Southeast England locations oh wow they really oh they really spread themselves why didn't they various <laughs> Southeast England locations Poptastic performers over the three events included Chart Toppers Bad Boys Inc Tony D. Bart, D. Ream, East 17, EYC, Danny Minogue, and Roachford. However, the real stars had to be Virtual Racing, which drove everybody wild, and those funky double-decker buses. See Sega Bus Tour dates below. For the full lowdown on the roadshows, turn to the page which follows the Tales Strip. I failed in my mission to figure out who all of these people are. I, I didn't <laughs> right. look up Tony D. Bart. Everybody else. I can remember D Ream. Yep. I can remember East Seventeen. Yep. And I can remember Danny Minogue. But after that, well, Bad Boys Inc. tickles the back of my brain. Bad but... Boys Inc. Yes, I looked them up. Generic boy band of the time did not appear to be Bad Boys. Uh, their most successful song. The video accompanying that was just them, like sitting around a pool in a sunny place, but behaving themselves perfectly well. They didn't seem to be doing anything particularly bad. But then, then I looked at their breakout hit, and in that one, oh, in that one, first thing you see one of them do is adjust his belt on his trousers. That's bad. Ooh. There's a lot of like dragging um, their hands up and down themselves. Oh dear. <laughs> what was this song bad. called? Because I might remember it if you tell me. This is the problem. I can't now remember. Ah. But we have a second opportunity to go back to the Bad Boys Inc. topic. So perhaps I'll look it up then. That's but, true. Um, we do, yeah. Clearly, at some point between their first song and whatever it was they were doing in 1994 around that pool, they had cleaned up their act and they were <laughs> perfectly good boys Inc. at that point. Uh, Tony DeBart, an English singer, best known for his single The Real Thing, which reached number one in 1994. So he's riding top of the charts right now. I really feel like I should be able to remember that then, but I don't. The, uh, the, uh, oh no, oh, this is one of those Wikipedia articles that quickly goes sad. Oh no. So it starts Antonio Carmine Di Bartolomeo is an English singer performing under the stage name Tony Di Bart, best known for his single The Real Thing. And then one or two sentences later, DeBart's subsequent singles did not achieve the same level of commercial success. He still makes appearances, when requested, and was one of the judges at a village fete in Buckinghamshire. Oh, man! And in Skegness in 2014. When you said it went sad, I assumed you meant he died or went to jail. <laughs> That's somehow worse. Isn't it? That's what it says. Does it actually say that? He in made 2014, he was one of oh the judges God. at a village fete in Skeggy. Well. Oh, brutal oh my god that oh that's do you the... know about skeggy over there <laughs> i mean i know of it from reading british comics and watching british television it's the sort really? of place you would hear is, is a, a kind of shorthand holiday destination reference yes like uh, milton Keynes or bogner regis yeah exactly yeah and it's it's sort of as i understand it i've actually been there but i don't remember much about it it's it is like imagine a sort of low-rent blackpool that's probably a good way to describe it. I mean, apologies to any listeners in the region. Or perhaps you can confirm that's accurate. I don't know. Leave us a message. And then we've got some more bus tour dates, you know. We're used to those. We probably had them all in the summer special already. No need to worry about that. This takes us up through the end of July, so I feel like that might be it then. Mm, yeah, ends at the St. Helens show at the Worthing Festival. After which, 
presumably school kicks off again. Oh no, there's August, isn't it? It's September school. No, there's a whole month of August. Maybe there are. Maybe it did bus about in August too. I guess we'll, we'll find, find out find next out. issue because they clearly don't have anything to fill these control zones with other than bus dates right now because it's been the last three issues. I'm so happy for them that something appears to have happened other than that event with the racing drivers because <laughs> flipping heck. I'd like to see some more photos of cakes. Yes, let's get some more cakes in. Wait, yeah, what? What's, <laughs> why didn't they make that a regular feature? The Sega Charts. Only thing to mention in the Sega Charts, once again, Sonic 3 down. Yeah. Down to number five. And uh, purely sports above that, if you count Virtua Racing. Uh, you get it. It's, it's cars in it. So, yeah, it's boring. <laughs> oh, well. Sonic. The Pretender, written by Lou Stringer, with art by Mike Hadley, letters by Ellie DeVille. Sonic is less than pleased when a new green superfast hedgehog, Cosmic the Hedgehog, shows up to save the Emerald Hill Zone from a badnik attack. Cosmic challenges Sonic to a race to the edge of the zone, but Sonic wins by a good distance, whereupon Cosmic reveals that he's really the shape-shifting Metamorphia who has lured Sonic away so that a larger, deadlier Badnik army can attack the Emerald Hill in his absence. As Sonic heads home to help, Metamorphia copies his form so that she can catch up to him, only for the Badniks to mistake her for the real Sonic and blast her instead, leaving the genuine article free to bop the bots and save the day. Hey, it's Metamorphia again already. In what is what, Lou's second strip? Yep, yep. Just, two just for two. on the heels of... It, the f it feels like this could have run at any time. I kind of like that about it. It's like it, it could have been there could have been any number of strips in between last issue and this one. But uh, uh, you know, it's like when Metamorphia reveals herself. The caption says the shape changing agent of Robotnik last seen in issue mm. thirty, not last, last issue. issue Megadroid. Yeah, you're right. It's like it could have been could have been dropped in anywhere. Yeah. This is another feature packed Lou Stringer strip, right? Isn't it? There's quite a lot happening. I found that when I was trying to write up the summary there, I was like, oh, this is long because there is a lot going on in it. More or less anybody else would have been happy to bring in the, oh, what if a superhero character showed up thing. Uh, Lou's gone, yeah, and also it's Metamorphia. Remember Metamorphia? We're doing a whole thing with that. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes back to the superhero character again by the end. Does he, how does he do it? How does he fill this in? Experience, I think, is the answer. Because it's like, they don't spend a lot of time on the idea that Cosmic is a superhero, you know? it's they don't The character isn't uh, played up as everybody suddenly worshipping this new guy on, on, on the scene or anything, you know? Maybe if the story had, say, been two parts long, they could have done that. It's easy to tell that's what they're trying to do, because he's got all the Superman trappings, he's got the cape, he's got the symbol on the chest, it's a C. he's even got Superman's spit curl of hair coming off the forehead, yes. which is a little strange. Because it's but, his only uh, bit of hair, yeah. I don't think I understood that when I was a kid. No, I didn't. I 100% didn't. I was convinced that it was just another C, like, on his chest. C, yeah. right? Yeah, C. I can remember that very clearly, not not realise... Or, like, eventually spotting the side-on view and that it was a bit of hair and going, oh! Because then I don't think I'd quite got it into my head that a curl of hair is a Superman yeah, I don't. Staple. I don't really I don't know when. I, I, well, well, because you have to remember, I suppose at the time, our Superman on television at the time was Dean, Dean Kane, Kane, who his look was that he had the hair gelled back. <gasps> there we go. Then, oh. And having not revisited that series, particularly in light of recent Kane shenanigans... No, because Dean Kane turned out to be a horrible person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, also, having happened never to have returned to it, I don't know, I can't really... 
I can picture his face, but not his hairdo. <laughs> you notice on the first page we have this weird disconnect again where Hadley's drawn buzz bombers I know. whenever the script calls for motobugs. Yes, and it's those same ones again that he's just made up that have got a little nipple that fires <laughs> from their tummy area yeah. instead of what they've actually got. I think it's less a case of he's made them up and more a case of he only has the sprite art of the, you, you know that piece of stock Buzz Bomber art that in fact was probably in the summer special Badnik database oh, where yeah. they have their their tail gun pointed forward and he's just misinterpreting it as, as the gun being part of the tummy and not the abdomen curled around. Yeah, here we go. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, mm, no, not really. It's quite clearly wasp-shaped in this. I know, but I, I mean, it's that it, that is the piece of art I was talking about where he hasn't he doesn't know what it is and he's just... He's oh. interpreted it. It's the same way that he draws them as having that mustache instead of a pair of mandibles. If oh, that's what he's doing. You're right. If there was so, so I don't think that's the art he's got. I think he's got like a, a head-on drawing or something, something different to this. I don't know what he's drawing from. Well, anyway, it doesn't in this instance though. It doesn't really matter because the script is specifically calling for them to be coming down out of the sky, and motobugs hmm. don't fly. So, who's to say who's wrong here? <laughs> Which one is Motobug? I can never remember. That's the ladybird. Oh, that one! It's the little ladybird one! So, everybody's wrong here, then, because you'd never see Motobugs in the sky. Yeah, because the first panel of the story has the Emerald Hill folk do. Look, up in the sky! Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a bunch of nasty Motobugs! Script so is wrong, Hadley's drawn art right. is wrong. One thing I note about this story, it's got... One of those famous panels on the, from the internet. Oh, has it? Yes, uh, bottom of page two, we find ourselves oh. looking at another one of those panels that gets passed around by Americans talking smack about Sonic the Comic. It's massively out of context. Yes. Because, so the... the so Better explain it. Cosmic yeah. challenges Sonic to a race. Tails says, hold on, Sonic, you could be rushing into a deadly trap, and... Sonic snaps. Well, if I never see you again, Tails, this is how I'll always remember you, as a little two-tailed dimwit who's always whinging. And I'm like, yeah, the point is, Sonic is mad about this imposter, and he's taking it out on Tails. And Tails, because Tails Cosmic says in, in, the the in the next panel, panel. Yeah. yes, this pretender has really got under Sonic's skin. There is context for yep. his Words. It's the next panel, and indeed, the next speech balloon. Now, to be fair, mm -hmm. there is no apology forthcoming at the end of the story. Nope. There is no, you know, wraparound for that. Sonic never apologizes for his misplaced anger and for taking it out on the wrong person. That's a fair criticism. But yeah. Sonic is not the, the type to apologize. I could see a Nigel Kitching script having a little tag at the end where Sonic starts to apologise and goes, about what I said earlier, you know, I... And then Tails would go, it's all right, Sonic, I know you didn't really mean it, or whatever. He would never actually get the words out because it would be too difficult yeah. for him to do it. But, uh, you know, so yes, context is important, but I will concede that Lou is still, you know, in his early stages here, feeling out exactly how the characters' relationships work. It's, it is fascinating to me to find out where these panels that get passed around come from. I didn't realise that they were so concentrated in time and also... They come from America. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this panel uh, here on the page three where they take off on the race. Ready, set, go. <laughs> Tails and Johnny are literally flung into the air <laughs> with yeah. this this sheer look of dot-eyed confusion from Tails as the backwash of speed. <laughs> 
catapults <laughs> them into the air as the two hedgehogs streak off. I'm quite liking the artwork in this one. Um, what's Mike Hadley done for us before again? Uh, well, he did Metamorphia's first appearance just last issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did The Green Eater, number 15. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's done, um, did the Terrible Racist uh, uh, yes. poster magazine as well. Right. Yes, there we go. I knew there was a key appearance. So, uh, yes, I'm suddenly reluctant to praise the art in light of that poster mag. <laughs> Fair enough. That issue reduces this issue in my eyes a bit, I'm afraid. I've always thought, I've said before of Hadley, I've always thought of him as kind of just being like the um, the workman of STC. He, mm-hmm. was, he would do a lot of, in my memory, he would do a lot of these notable in-between strips, ah. like these Metamorphia ones. And he's the guy who does the next Sonic's World strip as well. Mm. And um, I can't pull to memory... I can't pull from memory any other main Sonic stories he did, but I'm sure he must have done some, you know. There's always a little bit, a little rough around the edges, but um, generally succeeded in what it set out to do. And I'm sure you were very happy to see a loop rendered properly as well here during the race. Yes, it was a slightly confusing loop, though. Um, because Oh, hang on, let me find it. Um, three, bitch three. Yeah, thank you. God, it's only page three. <laughs> it's the <laughs> amount of content that's happening here. I mean, first of all, the entire race is a page. Yeah. And it does a whole run the features of the zone thing in like four mm. panels. We do a bridge, we do a spiky rotating uh, log, log thing, thing over, uh, and then we do a loop. And then at the end of the race, look, they run past the signpost at the end that Sonic spins at the end of every act. Do they? What? Yeah, yeah, top page four. Do you not see that as a... I See, I read that as a TV monitor. No, I read that as the signpost. Oh. I mean, it could be a TV monitor, but we didn't have flat screens by then. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to go on to say, is that it's, yeah, it's rather flat for a monitor. And so I thought, oh, it, it, that's very forward-looking. But yes, I suppose that could be a... It could either be a signpost. It's the it's the thick base that makes me think it's not a signpost. So maybe it's a... Maybe, in a buzz bombery way, it's a kind of cross between the two <laughs> could be i mean well the, the thing is they run to the end of the zone and what's at the end of a zone oh you're right yes <laughs> the, but the only thing yeah. is it's fully gray and doesn't have anything on it well that's i mean yeah i don't blame mm. them for that <laughs> <laughs> what what would be on it what how did you uh, did you ever interpret that as like you know when you play in the game there's a Robotnik sign. You run past it. It spins around. Now it's a Sonic sign. I always hmm. read that as like a Looney Tunes style thing where the act of him spinning it turns it into a poster of him rather than that Robotnik turned around the pictures of Sonic and <laughs> put himself on them or whatever. <laughs> and uh, Cosmic's really struggling to keep up at the end there too. He does look like he's in pain. Yeah, really huffing and puffing. It's very rare, isn't it, to, to see Sonic running and the legs just not be the whirling donuts. Yes. So this yeah. shot of Cosmic here really with the full legs in view no donuts looks like he's really whenever he's got that little round sonic tummy like he really <laughs> looks like he's having trouble oh yeah <laughs> yeah and then he keels over and it's like take it easy cosmic it was a one hedgehog race from the start and then i love this line it's like that's very true sonic i'm not a hedgehog at all <laughs> i'm no man <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I do love the way Hadley draws Metamorphia. I mean, obviously, he created the character with Lou Stringer last issue, so um, I don't remember how many different artists would draw Metamorphia over the years, but I always enjoyed... I think we were talking about it last issue. Yeah. I always enjoyed how nasty he made her look. Yeah. She looked, like, physically unpleasant. You know? Really, really horrible. Yeah, you wouldn't want to come up against this one. Those pointy teeth sticking out of her mouth. Those... Whatever that 
clumpage around the corners of her mouth is and her cheeks. Tails has those little tufts in that sort of area, but hers are like nasty bubbles of something. <laughs> you know, they're like little lumps almost. I think it's sort of just the kind of fur she's got, but it's drawn as little balls and yeah, ooh. Yeah. Very bobbly, very frothy looking. Yeah, much prefer her design now that she's in this sort of pink spacesuit looking stuff. Yes, her battle suit, if you will. This is yeah. this is her standard design going forward yeah. now when she reappears. This is her regular duds. And then we get a like last issue, like we get a nice tight fight sequence where Metamorphia like turns her arm into like a pickaxe, she turns into a net to trap Sonic in it, then yeah. Sonic uses his speed to drill his way out, goes under the ground to get out of the then she turns into gas like she did last issue. It's yeah. Like it's that a real great economy of storytelling where they just boom, 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 all these things one after the other. You know, like some people might, a writer might try for a rule of three thing where mm. they're struggling with their seven page limit. And if she can turn into three things, that'll be good, you know. But mm. she's been like four or five things in the course of this whole strip. And it, yeah, it's just, he's really good, isn't he, Lou? He is, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I associated, not realizing that Lou Stringer was the creator of Combat Colin from the Transformers comic from when I was a very young kid. Lou Stringer's name was the one that, and it's true, I think, of pretty much everybody who read Sonic the Comic, his name was the one that we associated with the stories that came in between the big mm. Kitching and Elson epics. The truly, truly exciting stories that the comic is remembered for even now today. But when you actually go back and look, and these are his first two issues, and they're absolute bangers. Yeah. Great stories out of the yeah, gate. he's got it. As a premise for a story, it's a very basic one of the sort you'd expect them to do. Like when Nigel did that, there's a robot Sonic yeah. early on. This is, there's a superhero Sonic. Yeah. But the twist that it's Metamorphia again, the fact that it's not just the throwaway, you know, now there's a superhero guy like I, I can i can always remember the masses of disappointment when the absolutely brilliant 2003 turtles animated series started and the first few episodes were full-on bangers and then it just suddenly went to the silver century michelangelo is a fan of a superhero who turns out to be real and it's so filler and so tedious and this could have been one of those and it isn't yeah, I mean, you could see this story being told with a robot Robotnik had created to upstage Sonic or something. Yeah. And then Sonic would have smashed the robot and that would be it. Honestly, when I was reading this for this and I had forgotten that it's Metamorphia, that's where I assumed we were going with Oh, this. you'd forgotten! Be... Oh, oh, yeah! Brilliant! I, I love that yeah. you forgot. I love you had the experience of discovering it was Metamorphia again. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It came, came as a genuine surprise. Like, oh, it's you! Um, I was surprised how quickly we had Metamorphia again. I feel as if perhaps they should have left it a bit longer in between but hey whatever i, I do want. tend to agree yeah. yeah and then like i love the the twist at the end we'll call it a twist like but sonic shoots off so the only way metamorphia can hope to keep up with him in any way is to copy his form it's funny that she doesn't just turn back into being cosmic i always thought because she turns into a green Sonic, but it's not cosmic. Oh, uh, it, you're, it, oh yeah. I didn't notice that. You're absolutely right. Mm. No cape, no C, no spit curl. Yeah, because I guess she doesn't need the ruse anymore. She just needs to be Sonic. Yeah, and that explains why yeah. now this green Sonic has sort of eyelashes now. Right, the eyelashes, I mean, because the the, the ruse is gone. We know Metamorphia is a girl, so you know, <laughs> you got to put those little identifiers. Even but, though she doesn't have them. Yeah, right? And also, if you look... In that one panel right bottom of page uh, six, when she's nothing can stop me this time, uh -huh. they look like eyelashes, sure, because they're coming off the tops of her eyes. But then in the other panels, yes. you can see they're actually, when her eyes are half closed, 
the lashes are not coming off the eyelid. They're still attached to her eyebrow. Yeah, they're coming off the eyebrow, and they're and it's just one eyelash on either side. So it's just one big, just a yeah. kind of little spike. Oh, is there something on Metamorphia that this is an analog of? Not that I can see. No, I, I think I'm not sure if they're meant to be eyelashes yeah. or if they're meant to be evil eyebrows. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I think it's the fact that, as you say, there is only the one line, but it kind of looks like there are two, where the natural curve of, of the brow, brow, as it appears on Sonic that curves down and then the upward curve of this line makes it look like she has two little eyelashes coming in a traditional cartoon girl style it looks like she has two eyelashes coming from each eye yeah and that's why in the first uh, panel with them i read them initially as just sort of wrinkles like she's just crumpled up yeah yeah um yes i'm not exactly sure what mike was going for with that but it certainly uh no exists <laughs> i mean that that head-on shot they look like eyelashes yeah. it looks like a green girl sonic yeah. but not so much in the other ones anyway the quote-unquote twist then is they run back to to the the site of the badnik attack and the badnik spot metamorphia in her sonic form even though he's, she's green uh and then they zap her instead and that's great <laughs> you know it would have been easy again for sonic to bop her and defeat her or outrace her or whatever you know the idea that she's no replacement for the genuine article whatever then the fact that stringer actually uses the shape-shifting and turns it into her own downfall as well as the final beat of the story mm, that's good stuff it's lovely yeah it shows that he's thinking about it's one of this is one of the things about a good Sonic story remembers it's about Sonic and it takes into account what's in this world and what you can do with it. Hey Chris, uh, I have never noticed this before. Mm. Look at that middle panel on the last page. Tails is going, "I'll help." Oh yeah, and he's just poking a badnik in the eye. <laughs> yeah, I remember this very well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tails can do more than that though. He deserves more credit than poking a badnik in the eye. Yeah, it doesn't even seem to really annoy the badnik. He's just going, "Ah, no." <laughs> Tails does get in a little dig at the end here. I don't like to say I told you so, but fine, then don't. <laughs> to be honest, I think this story is a great example of STC. Mm. It's not one of the big sweeping epics that the comic is like historically revered for, but I think it's a great baseline STC story that sort of shows you... The, you get a funky original character who doesn't pull focus away from the story actually being about Sonic. You get a slightly lopsided, but not not ungenuine depiction of the characters' relationships, the egotism, the uh, uh, the short temper, the inability to say that he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And you get a running feature of the zones that looks like the games, all the little yeah. animals, all the features of the... I mean, you know, isn't that just our STC checklist? Yeah. And uh, gotta be the best example of how to integrate a running the zone story into the story of the issue, right? Yeah, instead of it just being the issue unto itself. No, I top marks from me on this, yeah. Is this the first time in STC that we've had one where someone challenges Sonic to a race and they have a race? Uh, I suppose it must be, yeah. That's huh. a surprise, isn't it? Well, nobody You'd... on Mobius would have the stones to <laughs> challenge Sonic T. Hedgehog to a race. No, but I suppose it, I would expect someone to come up with one where Robotnik's made a super fast robot and it's challenging Sonic to a race to him to humiliate him or something like that. I can see that happening. I think that's basically Archie's Sonic CD adaptation. Huh, right. Essentially, it's the Stardust Speedway. Metal Sonic would certainly be a good one to use for that. I thought you were going to say where Robotnik held a contest, and it was like a Robin Hood type thing, where he held, yes! a, held a race to have Sonic come out of hiding, and there's Bob Beaky at the starting line, all disguised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why don't we have that? You could have told that story. Why didn't we have that, actually? that's a, <laughs> That writes itself. Refusal!
Oh dear, it's a sports one. I mean, it's two-thirds sports. I can't think of the Mutant League games as real sports games. But uh, Dave Gibbon does all three reviews this one, and he really clearly does, and obviously, uh-huh. I mean, he's played it, so... Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but he literally talks about the game as if it's just NHL hockey with bells on. Honestly, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe the game, maybe it is. He actually seems to think it's a reskin of that game. Uh, EA have basically taken their NHL game, turned all the players into horrible-looking mutants, and added lots of violence, excitement, and humour. So I was interested to see to what extent that's the case, and I looked up both games, because it's Mutant League Hockey being reviewed here. Uh, And then even, look, look, game type, sports simulation, brackets, based based on on NHL Hockey 94? And they've never said that before. So it's almost as if I get the sense they've been told it is the same game, which I never realised or knew, and I can't confirm it's the case. But I looked it up. Not only do they look remarkably similar, to the point that I kind of do believe it was a reskin, Mutant League hockey isn't really noticeably more violent. So, like, in NFL, or at least in the playthrough that I saw on YouTube, after the first two, is the word goals when we're talking about hockey? Whatever it is. After the first two of them, two men, one from each team, just stand there punching each other until one of them's knocked out, and then the next round begins. Oh, like, it, it just honestly seems to be exactly the same amount of violence. Like, the, you know, you're going around knocking players over with your hockey sticks. Okay, they don't explode in fountains of blood in this version. But, like, I can believe that they're exactly the same game from what I saw. I, guess, I mean, it does say things like uh, each team has a set of special moves, like bribing the referee or implementing an exploding puck. The ice rinks have flames shooting out of them. Others are riddled with holes. But I guess these are all just things... I mean... The Grave section of the Fast Facts box does say not worth buying if you already have NHL Hockey 94. So, I don't know, I didn't realise that they were so similar. Yeah, so I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering if it's, you know, these days, if the same project was embarked upon at all, would it just be DLC? <laughs> yeah, yeah, never thought, yeah. Just, like, reskins all the players as Bones Jackson and all that. Exactly. Do you have anything to say about Sensible Soccer CD on the Mega CD and Pete Sampras Tennis on the Mega Drive? Because I don't. They're very well reviewed. Sure, but, you know, I think David Gibbon doesn't mind a sports game. But um, Clearly. I had a look. I looked it all up. Sensible Soccer CD. For all of this... For all of this going on about how, and we've seen this several times now in STC, the Mega CD version of Sensible Soccer is all spruced up, isn't it? It's got intro footage, it's got, and and they go on about these specially re-recorded sound effects about the crowd cheering and so on. Well, I've looked it up, right? The intro, yeah, it's impressive, but all it is is it just looks like sports TV. So sort of like, you know, some flags will come on screen, some, some stats will come on waving like a flag, that sort of thing. Um, but mostly it's just a, a rendered arena that does one revolve and then you're into the normal game, which was already good mm. by itself. You know, I will, even I will say that this is a good-looking, fun-looking football game. And um, look, I know that I've already put my cards on the table before on this podcast many times, but I'm just telling you now, the sound effects are about on par with the Amiga original on the Mega CD. And that's all I can say for it. It's not. It, it's not even particularly impressive. They're not even like. It's not like a rolling. It's not like there's an ongoing CD audio of a crowd, and then now and then it'll you know tailor it to what's happening. The action. It's just samples again. You just score a goal and you get. That's it. It's the normal stuff.
same stuff they had on the Mega Drive, except on the Mega Drive, there was music playing as well, which isn't in the CD version, at least, unless the guy I watched just had turned the sound off. But I watched a couple. So I don't see what all the fuss is about, really. Uh, get it, the Amiga version, still the best. Mind you, £5 less than the Mega Drive version, and that is something to be it is. remarked upon. It is, it yeah. is. $34.99. And uh, Gibbon here says, record companies take note. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, the only thing I want to mention about Pete Sampras Tennis is I, I genuinely do quite like this bit. Um, it sounds fun. Once play is underway, you'll hear the superb speech and the realism of the whole thing. For example, if you're near the end of a match and the crowd starts shouting, the umpire will say, Quiet, please. Thank you. <laughs> I looked that up and that's true. And I didn't realise that was a thing about tennis. That's... It's nice that there's a sport where they're like, shush, shush crowd, don't make noises. We do not encourage that kind of behaviour here. <laughs> Tennis and golf, too. Games of concentration. Presumably snooker. Uh, yeah, snooker, too. Probably, probably loads of sports. Maybe football's just the one bad one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe football is the one bad sport. We both know that's not true. <laughs> Uh, just over the page before we move on as well, we've got the ad for the Sonic Summer Special again. Being advertised now more than a month after it had come out still. Oh. So that's how special summer specials were. And yet still saying, on sale 18th of June. Yeah, not on sale now. But, oh. well, they'd have to make a second advert, wouldn't they? Mutant League. Mutant League. Mutant League. Mutant League. Mutant League. Mutant League! Bring Me the Head of Coach Bricker, Part 1. Written by Steve White and Brian Williamson. Art by Anthony Williams. Inks by Brian Williamson. Colours by Steve White. Letters by Tom Frame. The Midway Monster's tightly wound Coach Bricker's head tends to literally fly off his shoulders when he gets excited, which makes his noggin a prime target for Mutant League football chairman Zalgor Prigg who wants to steal the coach's tactical skills right out of his brain and use them to rule first the NFL, then the world! <laughs> At Prig's instruction, Katie Slayer snatches the coach's head, and if the Midway Monsters want it back, they're gonna have to go through the whole NFL to get it. Quite a credits box, isn't it? I know, what the hell? So we got two people on script, three people on art, which isn't unusual for no. comics, it just is for STC. Do you know these artists enough to know who did what? Uh, no, Anthony Williams is a new one to the comic. Uh, Brian Williamson did Kid oh. Chameleon. Right. And bits of Eternal Champions, but he's just doing the ink. I think you can see the influence uh -huh. ink-wise. And Steve White was the artist for Echo the Dolphin after it changed, but he's just done the colours here. Oh, right. Okay, well let me do a brief look up of Anthony Williams. Uh, he is a Welsh comic artist. He drew Action Force. Ghostbusters, do you know what? I A, I can see Egon in this guy's style, and B, I already said Slimer. You already said Slimer! <laughs> oh, dip! Well, there you go! <laughs> and Transformers, among others. Several issues of Warhammer Monthly. So, I mean, there's Orcs, you know. Well, definitely sounds like he was well-matched for this, though. Well, isn't this great, though? If, yes, it is. Because <laughs> I know you were worried. Uh, I mean, because it was sports, you know, uh, I had my concerns. But what we have here is a full-on, it's exactly what you want it to be. It's basically a comic adaptation of Blood Bowl. It is, that's what it is. It's sports with monsters. They're all doing silly things. Yeah. One of them's head explodes off. Uh, one of them feeds a slice of pizza covered in vomit to another one. 
and he goes, oh no, uh, that's gross, because they've spiked it so that it's extra spicy. <laughs> Love it. So his head blows off his shoulders. So that's, <laughs> that's there. They don't have to wait for him to win or get angry enough on his own. The, uh, the Dukes of Biohazard. Yeah. I mean, so much of this, like, I always remembered this feature about this strip. The two talking heads the commentators the announcers for the the super bowl it's called first of all which is love it love it it, love it it. um they are kind of like the narrators who uh, who talk over the the sporting action and then the actual off pitch action as well and and they will go on to serve as like the narrators and the recap artists for the uh for the whole strip and it it begs to be read out in the closing seconds of the third quarter of Super Bowl 24, sponsored by Diet Smeg, the paste of a new generation, we find the Midway Monsters leading the Slay City Slayers by 419 to 386. Bob? Thanks, Chuck. 17 confirmed kills so far, four missing in actions, and one chipped fingernail. Artillery rounds expended, 2,000. Oh my word, it would appear that the Dukes of Biohazard, well-known scurvy lapdogs of MFL chairman Zalgor Prig, and owners of the very fast food chain Slice of Puke are generously donating a slice of puke to Coach Bricker. Maybe it's to calm his nerves, Bob? Well, it won't calm his stomach. It's great. It is somewhere between like uh, a Brit. I mean, you, you can see because I defaulted to a sort of American uh, uh, announcer voice, and you went more for a British one. It is somewhere perfectly in between the two, isn't it? It is. I mean, this is that's because what you've got here is American football through a you know games workshopy sort of a lens, and it's well, which is Blood Bowl again. But do you know what I mean? It's that sort of mentality. It really is a the humor here is not American. And the sport is. I should say, I don't know what Blood Bowl is. I don't think you have explained it on the podcast before. Oh, well, perhaps I should. Blood Bowl, for anyone who doesn't know, is an 80s Games Workshop board game, which I'm not going to go as far as to say the Mutant League games were actually based on. But if you told me they were, it's kind of like, you know, McDonald Land to HR Puffin stuff. They're exactly the same thing. Well, that one was. And then the lawsuit did come down on the side of uh, HR Puffin stuff. But it's a comedy, collectible miniatures board game in which you are playing american football with orcs and monsters and skeletons and things like that and the i don't i've never played it but it's that sort of thing and this is basically a comic adaptation of that from someone who and i don't know in what order did do work for games workshop oh no that was in two sort of 2000 it looks like here but basically games workshop have always had a 2000 ade sort of mm, sensibility mm. and sense of humor and um there's a lot of crossover here it's just silly and daft. And I... How shall I word this? I think this is edging a bit close to the a bit much for STC in places. There's a couple of things where I'm like, ooh, I don't know about Diet Smeg, the, the paste, paste of, of a new, new generation. generation. A pun on the Pepsi it, logo of the time, but Diet Smeg. A very good joke, but it's yeah, revolting. But, that's that's yeah. for 2000 AD. <laughs> Yeah. You know, things like that and the fact that the um you know, you've got someone offering someone else's daughter up as a prize. There's a couple yeah. of moments in this one like, ooh, ooh. That's how uh, Katie Slayer is convinced to grab the head for Prig, because Prig says, Bring me the head of Coach Bricker, and in return I will give you your heart's desire. Or shall we say Brenda Bricker, luscious daughter of Coach Bricker. Ooh, you've made it worse. Ooh. I know, right? Well he's <laughs> definitely that kind of dude. <laughs> And, but then, you know, we talk about the British sense of humour, and then, like, like um, 
someone like like Coach Bricker here. He's he's very sort of Jonah Jameson y Bling Dang or Yosamity Sam, let's be honest, that's what it really is. Yeah. Bling dang pantyhose handbag dip a toe wet look do you wear and cheese eating mama's boys. That's another one. That was that was another one where we're like, ooh. That's edging towards the homophobic, that is. A bit, yeah, but it was Britain in the 90s. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, hopefully I'm reading into it a bit much. But um, I did like <laughs> Out of My Way Peasants and an orc guy. Oh, I love a, this one so much. This <laughs> a random crowd member. <laughs> and he goes, Wow, KT snapped my brace and ruined several months of complex orthodontistry. Wait till I tell the guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was cackling at that one. That is yeah. tremendous. What we've got here is, honestly... This could be a new Streets of Rage. This is someone who's aiming 2000 AD and landing in STC somehow. And uh, I welcome that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't remember it being too risque going forward, but we'll see, I guess. I remember really yeah. enjoying it as a strip. Yeah, well, that's it. It feels really cheeky. It feels mm. rude. And yeah, a couple of the places where it aims rude in this day and age is like, not in that direction, perhaps. But for the the general sense of trying to go a little bit above STC's level. I appreciate that, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what we get. Now, just before we move on, I was looking up stuff about this, and Chris, are you aware that this is not the only adaptation of Mutant League that came about? I am, yes, there was a terrible (laughs) cartoon. There was! I watched... I, I, I sat through not a whole episode, but quite a bit of an episode, because it was called Head of the Coach, and I was mm. wondering if it might tie in with this thing. No, it's got nothing to do... They don't have the coach whose head pops off in the cartoon. It's not in um, it at all! I've never watched not it. Not that I could see. Oh, it's awful, Chris. Yeah, isn't the idea of the cartoon that, like, a toxic waste dump opens up underneath a, a football stadium or a something? A normal football and, and game, And everybody yeah. gets mutated. That's right, and now they're... And so, yeah, that's the origin story. And then they're a mutant league, and, they, and they're not just a mutant league of the sport they were playing when it happened. They're just a general league of any sport. So, <laughs> any sport like, well, there were two games, you see, so... Well, exactly. So there was ice hockey and American football, but then in the cartoon, I mean, I watched one where they do volleyball and stuff so it's just anything they want to do yes i suppose we should be perfectly clear because i don't know if we Mm. were this is just football in this strip this does not try to keep up with the fact that the hockey game has just been released this is just straightforward football but played by monsters with a cheeky gross out sense of humor yeah and um that's not what's wrong with the cartoon nor is the fact that it's badly animated nor is the fact that it has this weird um approach to the writing where each scene is like about 10 seconds long and extremely like its own piece and then it diddles into the next scene with a long and elaborate cg sequence of you going down some corridors very very strange but um no the thing about it is that if you are a reader of stc or a player of the game and you know mutant league to be this daft tongue-in-cheek thing in the cartoon they're learning life lessons and bet they are they're learning how to play together as a team and they're like oh where's the funding gonna come from for our- it's it's roy of the rovers oh well i mean i don't want to be too harsh on roy of the rovers because apparently it was good but um yeah but not yeah. when people are their heads are supposed to pop off and they're supposed to serve each other slices of puke on pizza no i mean this this to me it's very hard isn't it to separate well it was not so much for yourself because you have no real memory of this but it's very hard to separate my understanding of what mutant league is from what this strip is but this certainly seems far more in tone with the spirit of the games and the absolutely way the games were illustrated and animated versus what that terrible show did for sure 
There's another one of those strangely shaped news zones that we had before. Yes, yeah, we've got adverts in the middle. In fact, this seems to throw the whole balance of the comic off. <laughs> How do you mean? Well, all the ads seem like they're on the wrong page after this. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a left-hand page that is the news zone. Then instead of a double-page spread of news, the right-hand page is an advert. And yep. then you turn the page, and again, the left-hand page is the next page of the news zone, and the right-hand page is like a complementary page of the advert that's supposed and to follow this is on it. from before. Like, Marco, like the Marco's happened, Magic yeah. Football stereogram that we saw before. Exactly. This is another one of those designed-to-be-two-pages-as-you-turn-them adverts hmm. for Sensible Soccer. Yeah. So the advert, we'll do the ads first. Each page is actually two ads, and not top and bottom, no. but left and right, columns. Yeah. The page is split into two long columns, surprisingly. But anyway, the left-hand column of the first page is Serious Soccer Reviews, and it's a selection of reviews for various soccer games, uh, World Cup Striker, World Cup USA 94, Super Formation Soccer 2, FIFA Soccer, Virtual Soccer, and they all say that it's not as good as Sensible Soccer. All these games are not as good. Pulled from real game magazines, real reviews, yeah. that all say that none of these games are as good as Sensible Soccer. I think that is a brilliant way of advertising a game. Yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, who could argue with it? It's just cold facts printed on the page. Doesn't live up to the standard set by Sensible Soccer, says Super Gamer Issue 3. Uh, my advice, wait for Sensible Soccer, says Games Master Issue 9, and so on. Then you flip the page... And then the left-hand column of this page is reviews of Sensible Soccer. And they're talking about how great it is. Mm. SNES Force, the best game on the SNES by a long way, 94%. But uh, no point reading them all out. They're all just really good 90 and up percent reviews for Sensible Soccer. So it's a crafty and completely completely fair and, and, uh, and clever way of advertising something. Yeah, um, one thing that I notice in the, uh, the reviews for other games page is this one. In uh, CVG of December 1993, in the review of FIFA Soccer, you'd be hard-pushed to outdo Sensi when it comes to options. <gasps> Tony? Tony! Tony! It's gotta be Tony! <laughs> I've looked him up! He worked for CVG! I think we found a Tony! I think we found... <laughs> I can't believe this is non thing! To review. <laughs> oh... Uh, the other adverts, then, we'll just note them now, is uh, on the first page, it's the all-new Flintstones comic, which mm. presumably was being made off the back of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about the Flintstones. It was never a tremendously exciting cartoon series, but something about the look of them here, you know, it gives me flashbacks. And I, I definitely did like the Flintstones a hell of a lot at one point. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were always on, weren't they? You know, oh, they, yeah. they were on outside of normal kids' cartooning hours sometimes. I, I particularly enjoyed, um, and still have on video somewhere, Tony Robinson's uh, retrospective of the Flintstones from around this time because of the film. He did mm. a whole thing. He put clips on of the Flagstones, which was like the pilot episode. And yeah. Uh, free gifts, issue one, free Flintstone sticker album, issue two, free pack of stickers. Hey. Turn it down. The Flintmobiles ready to roll. Mm, okay, mm. don't. Mm, mm, all right, I, don't. don't mm. Steady on. <laughs> there's, uh, there's only so many things you can say, isn't it? And of course, it's you know <laughs> topped with a big yabba dabba do do spelt d o there. I disagree with yeah. that. I think you want two o's for a yabba dabba do. Huh. I've never really thought about it. It didn't look wrong to me. No. Uh, to, I'm sure there's a canonical spell. I was going to say, and that presumably will be it, because they wouldn't be allowed to go off the style sheet for saying yabba-dabba-doo. Mm. I mean, Wikipedia says that yabba-dabba-doo with two O's is the catchphrase of... Fred, Fred, Chris, 
Imagine if the Flintstones came out now. I would not tolerate such a thing as them deciding his catchphrase is yabba dabba do. Right? Yabba dabba do. I mean, there's probably something. I mean, in the grand sweep of history. Yeah. Is it any different than a sitcom character whose catchphrase is Bazinga? No, it's not. And I don't accept that as acceptable. (laughs) I know, but the world does. I didn't think we were talking about you specifically. I thought we were talking about just in a sort of global sociopolitical scenario where we wouldn't accept gibberish. (laughs) Yeah, people would go to war about it. No. Yes. (laughs) Kim Jong-un would have something to say about it. No, I think that, like, I think it all depends on... uh, A yabba-dabba Kim (laughs) Jong-du. That is Kim Jong-un's catchphrase, though, so I don't know you know, if I can say anything about that. But anyway, second advert. Uh, free specs with issue two of Joe 90 on sale July 30th. Joe 90. Couldn't be less interested. I still don't know what it is. Not a like, clue. It's another Jerry Anderson puppet show, but... I know that. I know it's a Jerry Anderson no, puppet show. And he sits in the gyroscope in the opening theme. Not a clue what else there and, is. And, like, I can basically picture him, but that could be because, based on this advert, I know he's the one that wears glasses. Yep. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. I remember being bewildered by the fact that I was supposed to know who Joe 90 was. Like, what... Why do they think we know? Why is this being advertised to... I am demonstrably the target audience for this comic. (laughs) Why do they think I know? Well, I don't know. I guess he... Well, all the other Jerry Anderson puppet shows were enjoying their moment. Apparently. Stingray and Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. But Joe 90, I don't think, was shown on... Like, those shows were the sort of shows that would be shown at 6.45 on BBC Two. On the weekdays. I don't think Joe 90 ever was. No. I think it was more of a mainstream mover on BBC One. <laughs> but I don't know. Can't be, but I never watched it. And I don't care now. Moving yeah. on. To Moving the news on. soon. <laughs> and uh, we shall now just wait for Abby's kettle to boil. Because that's going to show up on the mic. It's all right. Don't matter. News Zone. They're crediting the guy who writes the News Zone now. Gary Penn. Yes, as a news hound. I have to say, I was severely let down by this first story. Go on. Codemasters and Electronic Arts in court battle. Oh, and I was I like, know. oh, cool, something interesting. Didn't that sound and like then, it was going to be proper news then? You're like, oh, right, right what's yeah. it? Is this and the. Just, and I was thinking, okay, what is it? This is the, something to do with Game Genie or something like that. Nope, just turns out that they've made two tennis games and they're not yeah. actually in direct competition whatsoever. No. It's just there are two tennis games. Fair play to Gary. He's come up with a good pun there. I, I'm sure he got a pat on the back, but uh, as a reader, I got all excited over what turned out only to be tennis. <laughs> they tricked you. <laughs> they really did. One is Pete Sampras Tennis from Codemasters, reviewed earlier in the comic, and the other one is... Um, it's listed here as just being... Sports tennis from EA. Sports tennis. Here's my thought about this. I was wondering if, had they misread EA Sports tennis? Colon tennis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right? I looked it up and yes, EA Sports had been established as a brand, so that could be what it was, but I don't know. I think so, yeah. EA Sports tennis. It does does say it's a working title here. I mean... Uh, It's like like we did have that before at some point, didn't we? They were just talking about someone's football and then it eventually turned into John Madden football or something. It actually wound up coming out as IMG International Tour Tennis. OMG, did it? <laughs> yes. Here's something interesting, though, at the early in the article. It's unveiled at the recent ECTS and served up a smash to anyone who dared take on the man himself. Among the first to accept the challenge were pop groups EYC, who were taking time out to promote their latest album and single, and Jesus Jones. This is a pop group rammed 
issue of STC. I'm pretty sure EYC turn up at the uh, roadshow as well. They, yeah, they were, yeah. They're going all over the place. I wonder how much of these things is Sega promoting. We know that Sega's paying for the roadshow. I yeah. guess they're paying for X as well. I don't know what's happening mm-hmm. here. Everyone's just shipping the same few celebrities around. Ones who we have forgotten the existence of by now. I swear to God, I have no idea who or what Jesus Jones is. <laughs> I remember the name Jesus Jones, but only because it was the first time I'd heard of anyone other than Jesus being called Jesus. <laughs> what a white thing to think. Um... <laughs> What else we got? Um, AB Electronics in South Wales, who manufacture games cartridges for Europe. Basically, they were the guys who made games carts for for Europe, rather than having them produced in America or Japan. They had the factory, yeah. Yeah, They were about to produce their millionth cartridge. And to be honest with you, that struck me as surprising. I would have thought they would have crossed that a long time ago. (laughs) I suppose, yeah, that's what you mean. Well, it depends how long they've been at it for, doesn't it? Maybe they I suppose, but today... Like, you, oh, they, yeah. they surely must crank out a million units to meet release dates of things. Of things, yeah, yeah. I was interested in this because it's in Wales and it's not too far away from Abbey, where Abbey grew up. It's a couple of train stops away, but, you know, they're they're not too far between. And so uh, I now know that Abbey was living quite close to where, it says here, Aladdin and Sonic 3 was coming off the presses. Over the page on the second part of the new zone. Ah, yeah. Chuck Raleigh coming out for the Mega CD and the Mega 32X. I wonder if it actually actually did come out with the 32x or not i have to look that one up chuck rally it was gonna be called uh, which was a, a a kart racing game a prehistoric themed kart racing game based on um chuck rock of, uh, of who did chuck rock cool Core? yeah but it's been turned into bc racers which is a mario kart for cavemen yeah i, I mean and it's pure flintstones some of these yep. names millstone rockefeller yep. cliff hanger yeah axel rhodes willie <laughs> mammoth Brick Jagger and uh, <coughs> Gary Gritter. There's a there's a rock and roll pun in there somewhere that I don't want to make, so instead I'll just say I'd rather not be part of this gang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I looked this one up, and um, it, it did it did come out. I've just found out on the 32x just now, and, yeah. and the 3DO and the PC. But uh, I looked this one up on YouTube, and it's actually. Looks quite good. It's interesting the way that the, the characters look because they look exactly like you would imagine that they would. They are, you know, pixel art kart racers of the sort that you got in your early Mario Karts, but they've clearly drawn over 3D rendered figures mm. because as they turn and revolve, it's like perfect. No one would be doing that just off the top of their heads. They must have traced over 3D models. Chuck Rock doesn't really resemble Chuck Rock, much like he doesn't in the inset picture here. Well, I was going to ask, is that supposed to be Chuck, or is that supposed to be hunky hero cliffhanger? I couldn't tell you, but what it actually is, is it's almost like... um. It's like a neon sign of a caveman character. It's <laughs> yeah, like, or like a like an ink stamp. Okay, so it's a the picture is all sort of bluish purple. What what what's the name for that? It's like Indigo. a blueprint. Yeah, and it's all yeah. The line work is all in white. It's all very very perfunctory, as if it's been automatically you know scanned and then a computer has spat out what it thought the lines should be. It it looks like a vector in the early days of vector. Very weird. I don't know what the point of that drawing is. It doesn't look good. Seems to be all they had. Yeah. But uh, Chuck himself looks quite remarkably different, which in the game I'm talking about. But it looks really quite good. It's all proper 3D. Um, I shall have to give it a look. When I say it looks good, I'm talking about the 3D is, you know, 
quite modern for the time. Yeah, yeah, for the time. I don't know what the... I couldn't really tell you anything about the gameplay, but it does say here that you're controlling... There's a two-player mode. One person can control the vehicle, and the other one can control the sidecar. And it kind of mentions this twice, and I was going, what? And what that turns out to be, I think, just from looking at a video, you steer and you can punch in one direction and your sidecar friend can punch in the other direction. So that's Ah. probably what it is. It probably means punching that way. But I don't actually know. Short bursts, just basically a list of stuff coming up. Tasmania sequel, Taz Escape from Mars, Daffy Duck, Roadrunner, World Championship Soccer, Shining Force, Sonic Spinball and Echo for the Master System and Game Gear have been delayed. Not just Shining Force, but a Game Gear Shining Force sequel is coming out. Oh, I beg your pardon, yes. And then just noticed at the very end here, coming up for the Game Gear and Master System before the year's out, Mighty Morphing Power Rangers. Yes. As in the top television series currently seen on Sky and GMTV. And that's obviously before it had really hit big that they're just sequestering it away down into a little box there. Yeah, that should be headline news in the Power Rangers era. Yeah. Tales. The Morbidden Hunt, Part 4, written by Mark Isles, art by Casanovas, colours by John M. Burns, letters by Ella DeFell. Queen Volpecula catches Tails and the cubs, but she's enjoyed the hunt so much that she lets them go so she can hunt them again. This time the three foxes manage to find the hiding place Prince Catalyst told them about, where they find the prince waiting for them, planning to kill them so he can spoil his bossy sister's fun. The trio run out onto the castle's ramparts, allowing Tails to fly them to the safety of a nearby goblin flying boat, which takes them all back home. So I've not been engaging with this story properly. What I thought was going on in the last one, and and I don't know if you remember, but I was very confused and you were trying to explain it to me. I thought what was happening here was that the first guy had like enticed them with stories of riches and stuff like this, only to discover that actually they're going to be hunted. But actually, no, she is hunting them, but it is just hide-and-seek. It's the guy who gave... The guy seems to be the one... I mean, she's probably gonna kill them in the end. I guess. That's how fox hunting ends. Yeah, usually, but when she catches them, she's just like, cool, that was fun, let's play again, run. Well, I think we have a pretty clear picture of this queen as a rather um, mercurial figure. (laughs) So when she gets bored with the fox hunting, it's gonna be fox for dinner. Yes. But then, so the guy's plan was indeed exactly what he said it was that he's going to hide them in a hiding place so that she can't find them and that'll be annoying to her and that's his plan. Yeah. But then he's going to... Then I think he tries to kill them so that they'll be dead so that she doesn't yes. find them. Yes, it's basically... Yes, it's it's a full and proper spoiling of it. She's, oh, let's see how she enjoys her fox hunt without any foxes. Very convoluted set of... Like, that's a... As a way of going about killing some foxes, there's a lot of steps involved. Well, basically, <laughs> it's so he's got plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he he could like if he didn't want to like have her hunt foxes, he could have just not brought foxes back when she sent him to get foxes. Yes, but he had to. She's the queen. Yes. So wow, I really see those faces that you don't like this episode. Don't you though? That gape mouth thing the entire strip. I can't remember if I've established this, but as a cartoonist, I can see what's happening here to create this. He's not trying to draw a gape mouthed stupid fox. What he's doing is he's trying to make him be talking or or pulling surprised faces or whatever. But the way he's doing it is he's doing an, an in-and-out mouth. So essentially there's a bit of overlap. The mouth, the top bit, the, the, the dark top mouth bit, goes 
sort of backwards into his head and so does the bottom bit that his tongue is sitting in but the result of that is that it looks like his tongue is just hanging out and just honestly like trailing on his chin half the time and there is another panel here where you get a proper close-up of him tongue perhaps apparently hanging out and saying oh i wouldn't be in this mess if only sonic were here and, god uh, yes it's quite pronounced this episode but i did like <laughs> i did like after all said and done and tails comes back home again and sonic arrives and goes tails i've been looking for you where have you been and he tries to answer but sonic interrupts and goes ah oh, never mind that you've had a long enough rest we've got work to do and of course you know he's totally exhausted and the last panel is just a close-up on Tails doing his face into the camera, doing a big shrug. There's <laughs> something really funny about it. Like, it's just, he's, there are no more words. He's just going to do the face to us now. I truly despise it with everything that I am. <laughs> it's the fact that he's in a little circular panel with a little bullseye background. It's like, yeah, we've got work to do. And you can see and hear in your mind the cartoon close-out as Tails turns yeah. to the audience, shrugs, and then it goes... Yeah. Is it Iris is in, and then it's like, and that's what exactly what he's drawing. I don't know why I like it so much because I don't see it as that. I don't see it as a shrug. I see it as a more Chandlery style hands up, like, but but Jim on the office looking into the camera. Yeah, that yes, that's exactly what I read it as. Yeah, and I yeah, I mean that's what it is. I just hate it. No, I think it is what you're saying. I think that's a reference to like Looney Tunes because both the things we just said happened after this. And, yes. you know, have well, been re-influenced to see someone looking into a camera and waggling their hands about as something different, I guess. No, that, I mean, that's what it is. He's, like, looking at the audience yeah. and despairing, you know. <laughs> <sighs> I really have not enjoyed this tail strip, and I'm glad to see the back of it. And I've just noticed that the, um, the title bar is wrong. It says it's only part two, but it's actually part four. <laughs> Yeah. What? That's how little anybody cared at this point. <laughs> oh, I look don't. at this! Look at this, gubbins. The end of the first page. Yeah. We've got to find the hiding place Prince Catalyst told us about, and they run over. Like they find, they just find it this time. They couldn't find yeah. it last issue. There they it is. Just find it this time. Next panel. But it's not that they find it. It's that they just run over to like a hanging on the wall that's mm. three foot from where the queen is it's closer to the queen than they were in the previous panel yeah and they're like we got to get through here before queen volpecula finds us again i'm like she's right there bro she's literally occupying precisely the same space that this banner it like she is not supposed to be there anymore they are supposed to have run off somewhere and left the room the dinosaur thing that she's got chained up can touch this banner with its tail from its position behind her and she can probably reach it with the sword that she's holding yeah that is odd (laughs) oh and you know oh Ugh. Ugh. And I've really only just now, for the first time, noticed the cubs' horrible little monkey hand feet. feet. Yeah, they've got little hand feet. Ugh. Not only did I not Ugh. even notice that you can see their feet, they've got Ugh. little thumbs down the middle. Ooh. Oh, wow. God, that's terrible. That's why, and oh. that's why we never see Sonic's feet. Yeah, so Kevin Rooks <laughs> of Basingstoke, Hampshire will be pleased to, uh, to read this <laughs> issue of Tales. But I don't want to let this issue pass just without again mentioning the lovely art i mean it's great. apart from the slack jaw <laughs> look at that lovely vista of the castle oh, on page I three oh, mm, that's just... lovely stuff lovely artist just not very suited to the sonic style oh god i've hated this strip so much <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of middling to me no, I don't. No, I, don't I, I just hate the way Isles writes tales, and I don't think it ever gets any better, too. But 
he will be back, as will Tails, and we'll just have to see how it goes. But it won't be in the Nameless Zone, it will be something else. Oh, oh, oh okay, cool. And Tails walks away from the strip, looking a lot more naked than when he went in. Bit, yeah. <laughs> because everyone else in the Nameless Zone is wearing clothes. Yeah, and because there's someone behind him holding his clothes as he walks away from them. <laughs> Look at that stupid face when he when he jumps <laughs> off the parapet. You can't fly, but I can. And he's literally looking at the audience going, but I can. <laughs> God, I hate him so much. And it's the one panel where he's not doing the gate face and he's actually smiling for literally the first and only time in the entire... Oh, no, no, I tell a lie. He's third to last panel there as well on the last page <laughs> where he's actually smiling. But, oh, God. <laughs> right, Moving well, on. I'm, I'm glad that you don't have to suffer through it anymore. I think it's all right. As am I. <laughs> no, you don't. You're don't. just being contrary. <laughs> and this is where things feel like they've started to go wonky. <laughs> because now we have this, this oh, yeah. feature here on the left-facing page. So now instead of a double-page spread, the Q zone yeah. is a single leaf on the... Um, and then that means that Pirate STC starts on a on a right facing page instead of a left facing page. It's all it all goes wrong after this. Yes, because Q Zone isn't one page; it is two pages, yeah. but they're the right and then left. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so what we've got is Virtua Racing drives fans wild at Sega slash Capital Radio roadshows. Yeah, this is the roadshow mentioned in the control zone. They've yeah. decided to give a full page over to just saying exactly what they said on the control zone, but with more pictures. Yep, um, and there's pictures of different celebrities. You got Jocelyn Brown and Kim Mazel, who I looked up. I looked up all these people, by the way. I was so they gonna say, I hope you did. So they were two different singers who were like they've been in the biz for ages. They're proper, like they're good. They are singers who do all the like the sort of soul tracks that then get remixed. You know that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. And they are doing a single together here with a sort of dancey bent. Um, you've got Dan from Worlds Apart playing Virtua Racing. That is... God, I can't even remember. I've, I watched them this morning. I think that's another boy band doing boy bandy things. Um, you've got the... Uh, you've got East 17 holding up Game Gears and the Sonic and Tails cuddly toys. Trying to look hard while pointing at Sonic and Tails. Put your hats on properly, you idiot. Put them on. You want somebody to go by with a little, you know, whack-a-mole hammer and just like, beep, bop, just pop them down. <laughs> There's uh, somebody grimacing and pointing into the camera next to the Sonic costume. That's uh, uh, D. Ream's Peter Cunner. I remember D. Ream, but I don't remember... Yes, I remember D. Ream. I don't remember who... Apart from that scientist bloke who's on the telly doing science now. What was his name? Oh, what's the fellow's name? Brian Cox. Brian Cox, yeah. he's. The... Was I right? Yes! Yeah! I randomly pulled a name out of the air. No, yeah, Brian Cox, the keyboarder for D-Ream. He's the only one I remember. I'll tell you why I remember D-Ream. Go on. Uh, and it's because of an incident that occurred in a quiz that I was at <laughs> at school. Right. Um, and the question, I don't remember the question, but it was a question like, what band sang this tune or whatever better, yeah. and i could not remember it it wasn't a buzzer round it was a, a round we were in teams of four and um i couldn't remember the answer mm -hmm. you know music what are you gonna do mm -hmm. but it was there in my brain it was on the tip of my tongue and i couldn't get there and my teammate whispered it mm -hmm. just loudly enough oh. that it was amazingly obvious to everyone involved that it had been whispered <laughs> i could not understand what <laughs> she had said then off my own back, 
I remembered it was D. Reed. Uh, try telling that to the judges. Exactly. I gave the answer, <laughs> but no points were awarded. Uh. And I'm still bitter about it to this day. Uh. <laughs> That's why I remember D. Reed. <laughs> Um, I like this bit. Listen to this. The first roadshow took place amidst glorious sunshine in North London's Finsbury Park. Acts included Aswad, Shine, Shine Like a Star, yes, yes. Bad Boys Inc., D Ream, things going to get better, East 17, Pauline Henry, looked her up, can't now remember who she is, and EYC, looked him up, can't now remember. I did all this research and it's all gone. Um, this morning. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's EYC stand for? Express yourself clearly who spent the day capturing the action with their video camera. Also making an appearance on stage were none other than Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles. They've broken out the new Ooh. Knuckles costume, who, of course, all stole the show. I do remember the Knuckles costume. It's got very thin eyes. I bet it's pink. Oh, I don't know, you know. I can't remember. Because, as we all know, Knuckles was pink. It was pink. <laughs> but then I, I just like this. I like the way this is worded. Unfortunately... Crowds at Central Park Dagenham were subjected to a rather wet and muddy day where performers included Danny Minogue and Kenny Thomas. <laughs> Does kind of sound like he's lumping the performers in with the badness of the whole experience. Oh well. Unfortunately, crowds at Central Park were subjected to Danny Minogue and Kenny Thomas. <laughs> oh well, eh? But also there's a chap called Roachford who's standing here with... It says, Roachford with his, quotes, cuddly toy. This is because, of course, Roachford is a man who had a song out called Cuddly Toy. I did not know. That explains it. Yeah, and he's... But, but you know, the cuddly toy is just the Sonic one again that they're all posing with. Yeah. But uh, there's an actual reason for him. Uh, he's put some sunglasses on it to make it a cool dude version of Sonic. As if Sonic needs it. I mean, yeah. I looked up Roachford and his song Cuddly Toy. It's a banger. Oh, okay. He's definitely my favourite out of all the people at this. Out of all of these guys. Yeah, out of everyone at the Sega Capital Radio Roadshow, I think uh, Roachford's my favourite. I say that knowing nothing else about Roachford. If he is problematic, I apologise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's quite a good song, that. Kim Maisel and Jocelyn Brown sang their version of the song No More Tears, Enough Is Enough, originally by Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. Ask your parents. Uh, I don't need to. I don't need to. No. I know who Barbara Streisand was. Yeah. Which one's Donna Summer? I know she is someone. I know who she is, but I need to know which one uh, she is. I can't be totally sure. Enough is enough. Is she is the enough I, is enough. I think she's the I Feel Love one, isn't she? Um, I don't know. Yes. Yes! I was correct about a thing. About a person's yes. name. Woo! Um... You know, bop dee bop dee bop dee that one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the stars, however, over all three shows, had to be the funky double-decker Sega buses who had folk <laughs> queuing to sample the delights on board. Oof. After all, despite the array of pop stars, STC knows that it was really the virtual racing steering wheel that the screaming hordes were itching to get their hands on. <laughs> Righto. Righty-ho, then. Well, we've got some things not worth mentioning as usual. We have uh, Aztec Adventure. What is Aztec Adventure? Well, it says so here a, a simple little shoot 'em up for the Master System, which is not terribly exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Castlevania for the Mega CD, Batman Returns for the Mega CD. Have they got the? I haven't looked hmm. it up to check, but Castlevania. Uh, it's a level select code, but the code is up, up, down, down, left, right, B, A. 
That's only part of the Konami code. Isn't it up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA? Start. Start. Yeah. So, guess not in this case. Or or have they got it wrong? Dave Gibbon has been known to cock it up. Oh, dear. There's some Toe Jam and Earl 2 level codes and a nice little inset of what's presumably the cover art of the game. It is. With a glaring gap left for the logo there. So that's the full. Yes. James Pond 3, Echo 2, and some Game Genie stuff. And boop-a-da-boop, boop 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 the Sonic 3 level cheat. I don't know. I mean, I never owned Sonic 3, as you know, but I don't know if I ever got this to work. It's a tricky one. It's a very tricky one. And it does. It describes it here. It says, to activate the level select, wait until the big Sega logo at the start of the game starts to disintegrate and the big blue Sonic zooms out of the screen. Quickly press up, mm. up, down, down, up, 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 up on the joypad. This has to be done quickly in order to work. You'll hear the noise as soon as it's activated. I don't think quickly is quite right. It does have to be done quickly, but there was more to it than that. I did get it to work. What you do is, if you haven't seen it in a while listeners, the Sonic 3 title screen starts with your usual Sega, but then, yes, that kind of changes colour and dissolves and, and a 3D Sonic starts to spin up and sort of jump over it. And that is taxing on the old processor. So it actually does it at quite a low frame rate. Basically, I remember starting, I figured out that to get it to work, I would start on what was essentially the second frame of that, and then you had to get it done by the time that animation had finished. Yeah, that's how I remember it being described in other sources, as being done by the time the animation finished. Oh, right. Well, I, I think I just worked that out by myself through a lot of long trial and error. I suspect now that it actually had to do with... um you know, probably the the frames being slow. I bet each frame represented a flicker of the CPU and you had to input certain things when it was on, as it were. So you were probably having to do certain things within certain frames all the way through and it, the rest of it is just essentially it, it happens to work or not. Very difficult. That That was always a two or three trier, that was. Pirate STC, part four, written and drawn by Stephen Bliss. Letters by Steve Potter. From the depths of the egg, cracked open by Granny 8-Ball, emerge the kamikaze whippy snappers, living ice cream monsters that soon overwhelm Bob and Gurr. Dog the chicken escapes to get help from Sackhead and Flame, who have managed to defeat Vanguard the spatula constructor by just letting the big weirdo tire himself out. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't describe it any other way. This let me tire myself out. I... I I know I've been, my sort of overall impression of this has been foof, but I was knackered reading this. This one... Knackered. Yeah, there, it's, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It is just full on nonstop. It's just yeah. like stuff is just flying everywhere, bouncing everywhere. It's even more distended than than past chapters have been. It's constantly frantic and frenetic. The second panel on page two, you know, people's eyeballs are like gouging out of their faces and their their lips and teeth are bulging everywhere. Uh, Everybody is just splatty splidges and squidges, even the people who aren't supposed to be. (laughs) Their facial expressions don't necessarily seem to be anything to do with what they're doing or feeling at the time. It's just absolutely wild. And even conceptually, you know, you if you cast your mind back, you may remember that somebody bonked their head on an egg because now you've got 
An egg. Listen, I would hope you would remember it because you were moaning about it last issue. <laughs> I know, but in this issue, just reading this on it on its own, there's an egg there. Out comes some ice cream stuff. They all start exploding all over everybody. Everybody's kicking everybody. I mean, they're only exploding because they're being struck and they are made of ice cream. Therefore, they just go... Sp- and they're throwing themselves at each other. Yes, I know that they're made of ice cream, but only because the word whippy is used in it, and that's reference yes, to Mr. Well, that's whippy. that's the joke! That's yeah. th- I mean, that's a good joke. They're not whippersnappers, they're whippy snappers. Yes, but why are they kamikaze whippy snappers? Because what? they just hurl themselves at them, and they go... And why have they come out of an egg? What? There well, that, is... That's fair. There's that's no fair through question. line to any single idea that he's had here. Each one, fine. But, like, how has he come up with any of this? I mean, <laughs> you can't let it wash over you, man. Mm. I couldn't. It's not clear enough I mean, that. look at this. Like, they, they wallop them, and then they go, that wasn't hard, was it? And then she goes, bunch of softies. Bob. Hey. Ah, you got it, Mr. Softies. Another for an ice cream. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to think exactly what I'm thinking of, but this reminds me of, like, I mean... It's been codified by The Simpsons, but this was always something that's been done, where in one TV series, they're watching a cartoon on TV, and the cartoon on TV is like a parody of the sh** you kids watch these days, and that's what this feels like. It feels like a (laughs) deliberately meaningless, bonkers load of old rubbish that someone is watching on TV in something else. It's that sort of uh, style. Deliberately. That's not a criticism. Well, yes, I was going to say, deliberately, because the whole point of the thing is that it's all couch potato mindless television consumption you know yeah i mean i love the beat at the end of the second page where well all these other kamikaze whippy snappers jump out of the egg and pile onto the kids and they're all buried in the ice cream mountain but dog gets away and then fezhead who's playing the games yes because they're sort of being controlled by him as the sprites in the games yes i presume the bodies must be being controlled i'm not sure oh no i suppose if he messed it up they must i don't know Uh, no i mean i don't know i don't really know it's not really clear how but uh, he's like, ah, blast, I messed that one up. And then Skull just pokes in from the very corner of the panel. <laughs> Love it. Like, hey, boss, avocado Mexican bandit punters is on TV. Oh, yeah? Oh, my favourite. I'll let these jerks fan for themselves. He just chucks the pads over his shoulder. Yeah. So, that yeah, avocado Mexican bandit punters. What was the other one? Something bandit pundits? Yeah, yeah, that's it. They've used two different names for this show in the course of the strip. There was avocado Mexican pundit bandits. Ah. And then then there's avocado Mexican bandit punters. This strikes me, then, as if those are the sorts of noises that Stephen Bliss used to make when being random. (laughs) No, I mean, that's a turtle's riff. Oh! Really? It's four dumb things strung together one after the other. Oh, so avocado like pizza, I suppose. Like no, no, it's teenage mutant ninja turtles, avocado Mexican bandit punters. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just four nonsense words strung together one after the other. It's that's Jesus all it is. Christ. There's there's nothing deeper to it than that. It's just a riff on the number of things that were coming out that had names like that at the time: Wild West cowboys of Moo Mesa and shit like that. This makes me so tired. I've never connected more closely with what my dad must have been going through. <laughs> <laughs> when he took a look at the sort of shit I was into and like something that I think about is that there was a chunk of years where my mum was a stay at home mum so dad would be home later so mum would see the kids TV and dad yeah. wouldn't and it must have been so baffling for me to just go about assuming that because my parents know everything they know pop culture they must sure. know what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is and yes mum did and dad did not and to him, it was it was Mexican bandit pandits, and 
bunch yeah. of pandits. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if you say it, it right matter. or not. It doesn't it's ma- just noises. It yeah. doesn't matter. I can. I, so I'm finally starting to feel a little bit of what that must have been like. Good. Why are they called in the right in the uh, recap? Yeah, I, we haven't mentioned that one. Yes, they have sort of given the kids a group name. Right. Here. So that's that is new, right? Yeah, yeah. That hasn't been mentioned the ban- before. The band aid bandits have been torn from their living room by TV pirates. So that's never been called that before. The band aid nope, bandit. That don't make no sense either. That is how I feel reading this comic. I genuinely, okay, you're right. That's a turtles reference. I reckon this is the kind of guy who has a few go-to words because there's bandits again. I yeah, think this yeah. is a guy who talks silly sometimes, and those are his words. I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not gonna not gonna argue with that. Point. I'm going to go away and look at an interview with Steve Bliss from as early in his career as I can possibly find, and see if he is a jokey, random trickster man. Well, maybe, but... Who, like, I mean, that's just the first two pages we've talked about. Like. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Page three I really like. Yes, that's good. Like, this is... It cuts back to the fighting tournament where Sackhead and Flame are trying to use their space hopper and chips to fight <laughs> Vanguard. And Vanguard just punts Flame on his space hopper and it sends him ricocheting around the arena yeah. um, and knocks out all the other uh, combatants. And then on the other side, Robo Knickknack, if you recall, the yellow mouse yeah. monster thing, he just pokes Sackhead with his foot and says, Get in there, my son! <laughs> and shoves him forward to get into the fight. And all Sackhead does is, Finds you cheap. <laughs> Because he has a bag of chips, remember, yep, selected from the ammo screen. That's what episode. he or the player or someone Fair selected from the ammo screen. But then, and then Vanguard knocks him over and he falls back into the rest of the other guys and knocks all them out. And Vanguard collapses. What I like about this page is that it is four wide banner panels that are basically the same view mm. with things changing and moving about in them. And it makes it easier for me to see what's going on and to, to follow it. And I, I, I quite like that sort of thing. I like it when a comic gives you a similar view like, several times, but everything's cartooning on as it goes. I like the way that Dog... Oh, well, maybe this is why this had to be laid out this way. Because you see how on the left-facing page, Dog jumps off the page. Oh, and onto and the next he page. he jumps onto the next page. So maybe that's why they had to arrange the pages Oh, this and way. that explains why Dog on that on the previous page is saying, I'm out of here. And then to camera, but I'll, I'll be back. back. Yeah. And it's because he's just physically hopped the page. I quite, I want yeah, that to be I it. mean, the, the lines don't line up. Not quite. And you can see, like, they're not the same jump lines. It wasn't drawn as one piece of art that's been partitioned out. No. But, uh, yeah, so maybe that's why the, the issue is laid out strangely the way that it is. I'm just going to believe it because I like it. Hey, I just looked up on YouTube, Stephen Bliss. Oh, yeah. And he's really, really, really serious. <laughs> like, the, the only video I found is of, of like, slow motion shots of him looking around a city with an angry face on <laughs> <laughs> maybe he got all his wackiness out in this yeah because to be clear by the way i'm not really like I've, i think it probably sounds like i'm ragging on him a lot i'm that's not quite where i'm coming from i like stupid comics i like the mindset behind this and i like his art that he's done you know i've, I've got a lot of time for seeing this but i do find it honestly exhausting like i think he goes too far here and i think he would and I mean that in a way that I want him to be pleased to hear. <laughs> because that's what he's tried to do. He is trying to wear you out with silliness here. It's meant to be dialed up to 100,000%, and it is. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise there were never any more pirate SDC strips after this this six-parter, but... Uh... Well, look, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And I do... I would have liked it to be more like we've hacked the comic. Even maybe spread the comic out throughout the comic and have it, like... 
even maybe have Fezhead and Skull poking their heads into panels from various comics in STC and take the piss out of them and stuff. I think that'd be quite fun. Yeah, but I mean that that's a one issue stunt rather than a yeah. six. Uh, and you and you have to make it so that it doesn't impact on the other strips too. You have to do it in a way that doesn't ruin something that's good. But like, for example, and it's tough to do it on like a Streets of Rage or a Golden Axe. You know? I agree, but I think it would fit right in in Mutant League and uh, oh yes maybe yeah yeah I'm gonna say decap attack you can get decap attack especially if it was you know Nigel in charge of it and he was you know if it mm. wasn't a different artist drawing them yeah I think that would be that would work nicely anyway uh, yeah I don't know what, I mean so yeah then the story ends where Sackhead literally punts uh, Flame's space opera into Vanguard's head yanks off his rubber glove and pulls it over the top of his head and they win <laughs> yep Anyone experienced any normal happenings here recently? He asks at the end of the story, and then Flame whines from off-panel. I want to go home. Avocado Mexican Bandit punters is on TV. Stephen loves this creation of his. It's a funny sentence to say. It is. Avocado Mexican Bandit And that's all you need sometimes. Next, level five. The nightmare has not yet begun. <laughs> You're genuinely terrified. Oh, <laughs> Do we normally have this prizes to be dispatched box? No, that's new. I get the impression that they've been receiving a lot of annoyed letters from people <laughs> who haven't got their water fun games recently, so they've had to put this disclaimer in. Prizes to be dispatched within approximately 28 days of publication. If you haven't received your prize after that time, Please contact the Tomy Care Line direct on the number listed below. Not STC. Don't write into yeah. us. It's the Tomy Care Line. So I guess they're the distributors. I guess so, yeah. STC must just send them the list of names and addresses. I suppose that makes sense. So they don't have to send them a warehouse load of whatever it is the prize currently happens to be. Yeah. I mean, we're on Water Fun Games now for a good long time. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll be before they change. Do you know, looking at the picture of the Water Fun Game, although I didn't have this one, I did have, you know, other similar pump the button and the rings yeah. double about double about there's a word for you did you have any any of these at all not a sonic oh one yeah 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 i can't remember them being associated with any particular brand no. but yeah yeah no i had things like this no i had the one where the frog puts balls on a platform things yeah. like that. i want you for a moment to just look at the picture and just remember the feel of pushing that button in the resistance of the water behind it oh yeah you know it's all there yeah. in the back memory oh, yeah. it's never gonna go away yeah yeah, yeah, I can remember that. And it well. goes. I was obsessed with the the one I had was a frog who goes up with his hands up, and he. I don't know whether he's collecting balls or if he's putting. But I think the balls. I think the little balls are probably bubbling around, and he or doubling around, and he probably catches them on his hand and puts them on a, a shelf, and you're trying to get them on the correct shelf or something. Those balls. I never, you know, I never touched them, but I just remember the feel of them. I remember the feel of my balls. Chris. So uh, Adrian McKenzie from <laughs> from Russia and Scotland uh, has sent in a, a probably the most one of those annoyed letters that we get from time to time. Why on Mobius did you give Jurassic Park a low rating? Are you sure you haven't got your TV tuned in wrong? I think the graphics and sound in this game are far superior than Sonic CD. Ooh. As for Andrew Shortland's comment back in STC 8 saying your reviews are very accurate, I hope he's reading this because he's blooming wrong. And while I'm at it, the reason I wrote Dear STC is because that's exactly what oh, it is. Dear. Far too dear! Oh, Adrian, 
What's up your ass today? Son of son of old fash. <laughs> oh, stop whinging, Adrian, says Megadroid. Just as you're entitled to your opinion, so are the humes who review the games in STC. Not pulling his punches there, is he? Mm, he's not. Bit of, uh... No, well, there's nothing good-humoured about that response at all. Darren Mills is wondering if they're going to make any binders or covers for STC because hmm. he says, These would help prevent my mom from putting her dirty fingerprints on my collection while she's hoovering my room. Oh. And uh, I, I adore Megadroid's response to this one. No plans, Darren, but you could try washing your hands after you've got up off your derriere and hoovered your own room. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Sidique from London is, uh, well, he's being a bit of a... Richard Burton here. Uh, <laughs> Dear STC, the only thing I don't like about the Sonic stories is Amy Rose. Can't understand why Sonic lets her get away with annoying him all the time. Seems obvious to me that he doesn't like her. Why doesn't he just get rid of her? Oh dear. Megadroid replies, So there's a soft side to this tough, bad, nick-busting hedgehog. Anything wrong with that, Michael? Yeah, Megadroid standing up for the girls for once. Yeah, for once. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy this drawing of Megadroid yes. that Lauren Hughes has sent in. It's good. Um, see, this this was sort of what my mental picture of Megadroid was, though, because yeah. he was the face of the comic, so you did think he was the guy in charge. So this is a drawing of Megadroid yeah. sitting on a chair at a desk. He's got a name tag that says boss yep. stuck on his chest he's got his feet up on the desk there's a little executive toy the little clacky balls yeah. on the desk Hands behind his head there's this a... is a fully bespoke hmm. drawing of megadroid not yeah, copied oh yes completely he is reclining on the chair yeah. feet up on the desk hands behind the head there's a tin of best oil yeah. with uh, with a straw coming out of it on the desk and then on a little bookshelf above the desk he's got three books that are called how to deal with humans. Yeah. I love that. That's great. The works of a robot. Mechanics for robot. And then there is a fourth uh, title on the shelf, which is yeah. just Robocop. <laughs> so I don't know if they're books or videos. But th the reason I say that I thought this was my image of him was because the caption added specifically by the editor says, Megadroid impersonating the humans who think they're in charge. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they need to keep that law going. Megadroid is the put-upon office dog's body of Sonic the Comic. He's not the fella in charge. Yeah. But great work, Lauren Hughes, from Nottingley Lovely. Sonic Waterfun Game winner. That was some good stuff. And that takes us to the last letter and picture, which are of a piece. Duncan Edwards from Hool in Cheshire um, remembers that back in STC 19, they said Knuckles would be showing up soon and wants to know when we will be seeing him. And um, Megadroid's response is a bit mixed, actually, because in response to the letter, he writes, Well, Dunk, it was an unconscious ploy to keep you all in suspense, and it worked. However, we can reveal that Knuckles, who has sneaked into the Sonic Summer Special on sale now, will be making an impact in STC 32, so take cover! Meanwhile, hope you like Boomer Slater's pick of Knuckles on this page. In reference to a drawing of Knuckles just above by James Slater from Lowstoft in Suffolk. But the caption they've added to his picture says, Knuckles cracks STC from issue 33. Oh. Uh, the picture caption is right. I know that. Okay. It's 30, 33 is Knuckles' first appearance, not 32. 32 was startlingly soon when I read that. 33 feels a bit better, but still I'm surprised. Oh, mind you, no, it's 1994 and there's not going to be yeah, it's time. so many issues left in 94, so yeah. Hmm. Well, God, we, we're racing through this, aren't we? We're nearly at Knuckles! Come on up to Knuckles, Sonic. I mean, basically, like, next issue, Knuckles is just basically the start of the big mm. Sonic and Knuckles saga. Yeah. 
That takes us to the end of Speedlines, because uh, the inside back cover is that damned subscription coupon again. <laughs> but it's all right, Chris, because if we pull back one page... It's a full page ad for next issue. Yeah. Join the Badnik Army. It's a real B-A-R-F. That doesn't make no, any sense. No, no, clearly they're referring, and, and you and I know what it is, but clearly they're referring to something that's going to be called B-A-R-F, but you don't say it's a real barf. Under any circumstances, no, it's not a thing. Yeah, no. is it supposed to? Is it supposed to be? It's a real larf. Is it a pun? Oh, oh, maybe. But in that case, putting the dots in is a step too far, and they should have just said it's a real barf. I mean, it shouldn't be because barf is the joke unto itself. Mm-hmm. So taking that and subbing it in to make a pun on our introduction to the concept is not the way to go about it. Yeah, because uh, as it says on the line right below, barf. Stands for Badnik Army Repair Functionaries. Yes. Cam and Bert are members of this mobile force. Follow their hilarious adventures in the return of Sonic's world in STC 32. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up there. <laughs> yeah, we're not looking forward to this one too much, are we? No. <laughs> That's the, they, these are two characters who repair Badniks, work for Robotnik, who are going to be the stars of this next Sonic's world strip. Because the next Sonic's world strip is just going to be some Irish <laughs> <laughs> more cool lore that we were hoping for. It sounds like a really good concept, but it is what I have always remembered. If anyone ever said to me, what is the worst thing in all of STC? It's Bath. Well, I guess we'll see. I uh, I, yeah. I, don't know what I would have pointed to. And we'll see if I reappraise it with adult eyes. Maybe I'll suddenly like it. Maybe it'll be the Brussels Maybe. sprouts of comics. I mean, we were. it's by Mark Isles, as I recall, you know, so um, we were very pleasantly surprised by the sense of humour in yeah. the second Wonder Boy strip. Yes, but we'd remembered it as not being good. So, yeah, you never know. <laughs> but that's that's it, exactly. So you never know. But we're, well, we'll, we're approaching the next issue with trepidation. Anyway, put it that way. Plus, Sonic Evils of the Misery Zone. Ooh, yes. he's, he's reading uh, Camembert. <laughs> Mutant League heading for disaster. They are the strip right before Camembert. <laughs> and Pirate STC, Dread at the Controls. STC 32, don't leave zones without it. Okay, I'll There's another that. pun, right. so yeah. It's not think... very good, but nope. it's, like, it's like the Sonic version of the thing, so okay. On sale Saturday, the 6th of August, a £1 a 10, a Mutant League copyright. Copyright, Electronic Arts Limited, Limited. They yes. saying it, yeah. Look at the little TM above the Mutant League as well. They can't even say the words Mutant League without putting an Electronic Arts copyright warning somewhere in the page. That's very interesting. I tell you, I'm really looking forward to reading more of Mutant League. I think that's going to be the highlight next issue. Yeah. It's the one that feels the most like how the early days Sega Superstars felt, which is mm. like... Here are some people who are doing this. They are veterans of comics. They've been doing it for donkey's years, and they are contributing to this magazine. It has that feel to it, doesn't it? It's sort of like uh, half Streets of Rage, half Decap Attack. Exactly. And it's funny because it's one that I feel like uh, isn't remembered much. No. No, I'd completely forgotten it even existed. Nobody seems to chat about it much, yeah. And they they would only ever do one. I I presume maybe the licensing was an issue, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I really enjoyed it this issue, and I'm looking forward to reading more of it next issue. Yeah, me too. So there we are, that's another issue. We've done another episode, Chris. We're always doing these, aren't we? Every two weeks, at least. I know, constantly popping them out. And if you're looking for those episodes and all those ones that we have popped out and all the ones that will pop out henceforth, (laughs) uh, you can find them on Apple Podcasts or most places that all good podcasts are, but you can get it directly from stctp.wigglehe.com. Yeah, or you can follow it directly on Twitter. It's at Sonic Podcast. Or you can follow us separately. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFly. 
Philly, and you'll also find us both on YouTube under those names. You can support the podcast if you're feeling so inclined. Uh, that's at patreon.com forward slash stctp. Stop! Because it's time to announce a change that's about to befall our podcast. Don't worry, you won't particularly notice it. But for the past year and change, I've spent the two weeks leading up to the release of each episode of this podcast editing that episode, which, believe it or not, does take two full weeks for me to do. Trust me, it is a mess of Skype delay and random snorts and whinnies if I don't. But the STC fan community has shown itself to be a very good bunch of people. Because over at the Patreon, we just broke $100 a month. Something we never entertained as being possible when we started, and it means we can now afford to hire an editor to do some, not all, but some of our episodes, leaving me free to pursue my other ideas and maybe produce other stuff on the side. Now, don't worry, the episodes will stay sounding exactly the same, because I'll be doing a pass over them at the end and I'll be adding in all the same characteristic stuff that you've come to expect. This just means I have more time, and our editor has more money, so you've helped to put two good things into the world. And you've not done it for nothing, neither! This means we can soon start offering perks to people on the Patreon, because we'll have time to make stuff to give you back. It'll come in the form of exclusive bonus episodes about other things, we're not going to put any STC issues behind a paywall, don't worry about that. But if you want to be able to access those extra features when they eventually happen, you can join our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash stctp and help us afford to have all our episodes edited by our new guy. And hey, maybe one day we could take home some cash ourselves. Imagine! You might recognize our editor's voice, by the way. Indeed, because apparently all you have to do to become the editor of this show is to ask nicely. My name is Sam Gabriel, and I've been a fan of this podcast since it first came out. I'm a radio DJ and a voice actor from Texas, and I am thrilled to be on the team. As Dave said, nothing much should change for you, except that there might be more content in the future, because Dave will have more time to make that content. That said, you might briefly hear my voice from time to time in upcoming episodes, and if you like the way I sound, you can hear a lot more of me on my podcast, Alexandra Quick and the Audiobook Project, which you can find on the podcatcher of your choice, as well as at samgabrielvo.com. And so with that plug out of the way, back to you, Dave. So thanks again to everyone who's helping out with this. My life is palpably better now. So next episode is Sam's first. Everybody wish him luck, except I've already heard it. It's done. It's fine. You won't. You will not notice a difference at all. Okay, back to the outro. Our opening theme was synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band, and you can support them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic The Podcast, and we will see you... And next time. One second. I'm going to get something stuck to my elbow. <laughs> well, can't have that.